Welcome everyone to the 75th episode of Everyday Channel. We are approaching the 100th episode and I'm really looking forward to this one because we got two special guests tonight. But first of all, we have Eric back on the show. Eric, how's it going? Hi. What have you been up to? I think you, you've been taking a little bit of a break lately. Uh, yeah, somewhat. M my break is kind of like me playing magic like a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like with small creatures not attacking uh, instead of like big just not all that frequently, a couple times a week. And have you been exploring other formats? Well, I played quite a bit of limited leading up to GP Reno, and then since then I haven't played anything except for Legacy. Okay, okay. And are you like I, I try to not make this too much about the entire Corona situation because a couple yeah. of people have actually reached out to me and told me that they appreciated that we didn't make it too much of a topic on our last podcast because like I'm not listening to every podcast and I guess every podcast has something to say about it but I'm trying to like not have that as a recurring segment until like I don't know everything is over in a couple of months or a year or something but how, how how's it going for you you're you're still in Oregon right now I would guess yeah I'm in Oregon I'm just hanging out at home <laughs> watching Netflix the way you're supposed to save the world like yes. every every one of us, yeah. I'm doing my part. Have you been watching that that Diamond King? No, not Diamond King, Lion King thing or Tiger no, King? Tiger King. <laughs> yeah, I did. I watched that. That was pretty great. I, I just watched the first episode, and it's insane. It's absolutely insane. Like these characters are so insane. It's it's almost addicting. Yeah, in a way. <laughs> I think I watched the whole thing in one day. <laughs> oh, I think I might just watch the rest tonight or something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Actually, it took me two days. I remember. Yeah, two days. Because you've been doing like an all nighter or something. <laughs> Yeah, you've been, you've been busy saving the world and playing Magic Online. I did pretty much the same. I recently started playing like a very normal version of Elves again that's super straight up. I call it Boomer Elves because it's so like a list people would have played many years ago. But I've been doing pretty well with it. been enjoying it quite a lot. You can find it on my Twitter. I will probably like list it on, my, on the show notes here as well. And uh, are you also in the thing? What's it called? Uh, I think you are. I don't even know. It should probably be announced. Otherwise, I'm going to cut it out from here. The Legacy Double Dash. Yeah, Pretty yeah. Pretty sure you're in it, right? Yeah. So we yeah. have to submit deck lists, I think, tonight. Correct. Do you, do you want to quickly explain what, what exactly is going on there? Because that's, I think, a special kind of event. It's... Uh... <laughs> Forget... <laughs> <laughs> now you know why I asked you, because I can show myself. Um, Schultz Cubed. Yeah, I was trying to remember his, his screen name. Uh, Schultz, Schultz keeps putting right. on a legacy event where he ran around and asked people who he considers or who the community considers to be one of the top players of a specific deck and then a partner for that deck. And then those two will be a team playing one specific archetype against everybody else playing different archetypes. And I think that's going to come up pretty soon. At least tonight is the, the deadline to submit those. So I hope we didn't spoil anything. And yeah, really looking forward to see how that's going to work out. In speaking of people that are well known for playing a specific deck, I don't actually know whether our guest would be... Heavily associated with a certain deck, but Caleb, hey, good to have you on the show back again. How, how's it going for you? You're also playing in the Double Dash, right? Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Glad to be on. How, how's that going with Pox? With what? I don't know. Which deck has actually been assigned to you? Uh, I'm playing Hogek. So I, th <laughs> I, I think I've... I don't know. It, it's hard because I definitely have played a lot of Hogek and I've got a little bit of a name for myself with it, but I play so many different things now. I don't know. It's just because I have a, the memory of... I mean, the not memory, the attention span of a squirrel. So I like find a deck i love playing it i play it for like a week and then i get completely bored of it i move to the next thing but hogek is i've loved playing for longer so i'm pretty excited to play in it so yeah i'm in double dash as well 
I'm with Romario Neto. He's also playing Hogek with me. So yeah, we're going to just crush everyone easily. The deck is broken. So. Oh, are you sure about that? Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to ask <laughs> how it feels knowing you have no chance of winning. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think the deck is very good. but I'm, te- I'm teasing. Awesome. Uh, let's see. I, I mean, the first pairings haven't, or, haven't been announced yet. I guess that would be weird if we already had some printed no. list. Um, anyway, but yeah, that that's good. Uh, what have you been up to? Uh, how, how's life in the UK? It's pretty good here. We like, as you said, don't want to talk about the corona situation too much, but I am also saving the world, playing Magic Online. Um, been playing loads of Modern Horizons draft, which is just the best format ever. I love it. So that's been consuming my life now. But I'm still, um, I'm still working. I've been working a bit from home, and I'm starting to go into work in the evenings and stuff. So, yeah, I'm getting out of the house like when I'm allowed to and when I can. Like no, no interactions. I've not seen anyone other than my family for a good few weeks now. But we're pretty lucky, all of us, to be able to have these this Magic the Gathering to play and interact with and socialize online. A lot of my friends are kind of just stuck and they have nothing to do at home. So, yeah, actually kind of weirdly enjoying it. <laughs> you know, in a couple of decades, the new generation will ask us, hey, what, what was it like during the corona situation? And you're going to be like, actually, this was the best time of my life. I just stayed at home, <laughs> played games and watched Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't get people annoying me and say, hey, Callum, come out. No, I want us to just stay in and play Magic Online. <laughs> and now it's easy. Awesome. And our second guest for the show tonight has probably also been spend, spent a lot of time playing Magic Online, and that's Jeff Pokey Moki White. Jeff, how's it going? Hi, uh, thanks for having me. It's going pretty well. Um, and you're right, I have been playing a good amount of Magic Online. Yeah, you're more known as a, I think, as a Pokemon Online champ or something. You 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 teased that when we when we just talked about uh, it. I'm not, I'm not a show. known as a Pokemon Online champ by any sense, but um, my name was uh, I got my name because uh, competitive Pokemon battling was like the first kind of competitive endeavor I got into, um, and so you know I kind of just chose my name from that uh, and stuck with it. I did Is hit rank one on so they, uh, similar to Magic Arena, um, competitive Pokemon has a ranks ladder and i did at one point um hit rank one on that ladder uh, this was way back in like you know 2012 2013 so you know i'm watching like globally uh yeah it, it's like not a too big of a scene um but it was a global ladder Okay, that's pretty impressive. Is there, is there, I, I'm, I have no idea how that works, but is there like one Pokemon you pick and you just train um, it and play? Or, or do so you the, like the idea is that you know, like in any game, you know, you can play against other players. And so the idea of competitive battling is that, say you could build the team you wanted, you know, train them the right way, give them the moves that you want, etc. What would that look like? And so that's kind of what these uh, online things simulate. They kind of let you create your own team and... You know, as long as it was legal in, in the game that you're emulating, you're allowed to have it on your team. Because, you know, for those who don't know, you know, training your Pokemon and giving them the right starting stats can take like a lot of time and effort. And there's a lot of randomization in it. And so instead of just having people, you know, spend hours and hours and hours doing that to play the game, we just say, oh, what if you just were able to play the game the way you wanted to? So you can just like max out your stats because if you had enough time, you you would be able to do that anyway. Yeah, exactly. Like if it's something you could have done in, you know, the Pokemon game you were playing, you're allowed to have it on your team. Awesome. And the reason why we have you on tonight is because now for the first time, we're actually going to announce that Eric, Caleb and I will actually transition into Pokemon. And this will turn Yeah, I'm here to give you the crash course. (laughs) Awesome. So how's my, how's my Scrattle doing? Is Scrattle still viable? Uh, No, I'm sorry. uh, There are... um, you know different tier lists basically and so you can, to- I just you can basically choose a format yeah you can choose a format where 
Squirtle would be viable, but I thought you'd be a Bulbasaur person, Julian. No, 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 no. So that's I the mean, green yeah, one, maybe. right? Yeah, Bulbasaur that's is the green, green one. one. Yeah. That's yeah, true. Yeah. I'm the blue one. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but you know, the blue one is supposed to be the tryhard, and I always thought like the red dragon. I have no idea what's it called in English. Is supposed to be the tryhard Pokemon. Oh, oh I want to know what it's called in German. Glumanda. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's a Charmander in in English, so that's very cool. very close. Awesome. So yeah, but but seriously, um, we got you on because you've actually been doing pretty well in Legacy, not only recently, but it's, you mentioned you started it in 2014. Did you get straight into Legacy with Magic or did you, did you try out um, other stuff first? No, I think I had like a very standard-ish, you know, Magic experience where, you know, I started playing Limited because, you know, that's what I could afford. I didn't have a collection yet. I moved into Standard and then, you know, kind of walked down the formats. And I think I started playing Legacy probably around 2016 and then i went to my first open in 2017 awesome and you're uh you you mentioned you won a couple was it opens or classics i'm i'm not super like i think the classics are the day two ones right yeah so classics are for the people who don't day two the open um so they're usually a little bit smaller they're usually maybe like one to 200 people and then the opens are like the big you know tournaments that scg hosts oh uh, so cl- classics are basically what you would find calum and me playing in <laughs> And me. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Classics, classics for the people that do badly, I think. Exactly. That's how yeah. it goes. <laughs> it's fine. So I see what you're saying, Julian. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I have two open top eights, yeah. one in Legacy, one in Modern. And then I've won two classic events as well. Uh, one standard, one Legacy. What did you top eight with this? I top eighted with Grixis Delver. This was when um, top was banned, but death rate was still legal. So. Oh, it was so broken. Yeah. <laughs> it was very fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And ever since last weekend, you also have another, not only a top eight, but an actual win in what I think it's called a legacy super qualifier on Magic Online right now. I'm really not sure on the. On yeah, the, on I actually didn't that. know what it was called until after the event, and I saw people posting about their LSQ results on Twitter. But yeah, it's, it's a legacy super qualifier, which, you know, basically it's a uh, PTQ. The first and second place get players' tour invites. And how many people did actually show up for those? That, uh, I think it was a pretty big one, right? Yeah, so this one was a 260-person tournament, and my understanding is that they're all about that size, you know? You know, um, in Oklahoma, they called it a GP. <laughs> the, the numbers have been fluctuating a lot. There's been, the ones on the weekend, a couple have topped over 400. Oh, wow. And, and the uh, the limited ones are like 300 plus, usually. Uh, the, this is actually a bit smaller than usual. But it's, it's kind of, it's you're right, this is roughly average. But the weekend ones and the limited ones, from what I can tell, Gotcha. very popular yeah i guess like, that makes sense legacy is a little yeah. bit less you know yeah popular pioneer and modern have been more but like not by a lot it's actually been the numbers have been pretty consistent for the week the weekday ones mm-hmm. from what i can tell so it's i mean everyone's just like diving in so yeah you said no, you're studying maths right callum so i'm not surprised you know all these uh <laughs> no no i'm just weird. hopelessly addicted to this <laughs> so i just sure. like pay attention to everything i get my hands in everything i can so yeah Awesome. So, and since yeah. you took it down, you actually get to go to the. Do you go to the pro, the players tour? I think it's called, or the players yeah, it's, tour it's, finals. I'm not sure. The players tour now, and then I believe if the player people the, the players who top eight the players tour get to go to the players tour finals. If I'm correct, I might not be correct on that. Um, I think it's the fin- the finishes at pro tours with a certain number of. It's it's like the old. It's like an extra pro tour. So the people that top eight at pro tour, or with like a thirteen two kind of record or something a bit more plus they can get like 
mythic points or something. So it's 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 a combination of players from different ways of qualifying for the players tour finals. But yeah, the, the most common one is winning a top eighteen pro tour or getting a very good record. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That means you would have to play standard? Yeah. Definitely definitely not my preferred format, but um it is something that, you know, usually when a new set's released, I'll dabble in it for a little bit. Didn't you do really well with like you made bant ramp something? I think made is a little bit strong, but okay. um, I did win a classic with Bant Ramp on I think like week two or week three of the uh, the current standard format. I think the lists have changed a little bit from what I was doing, but just the fact that it felt like that deck was like a week or two ahead of everyone else in the room meant that I could have some few like a few card choices that weren't optimal and still do well. Mm, makes sense. And in this tournament, you also played Bant. Or I, I want to call it Bant R Banta. I, I like calling it that. Yeah, because there's only three red cards in the sideboard, and so it really is just like Bant with a small red splash. And what, what's the full name? Is it like Bant Snow Oko? Four color Bant Snow Oko. I, I <laughs> you know, no I don't. I'm so I don't lost. know. Yeah, there's so many different names now. I call it Bant R Miracles. Oh, you still call it Miracles? I still call it Miracles. Look, it has that one terminus in there. I gotta give you shit for that. There's this weird obsession. (laughs) I gotta really say that. There's this weird (laughs) obsession with former Miracle players. And that includes my good friend Mark Vogt, who (laughs) just won GP Bologna, and Anorak, who also did that for forever, Uh to call any kind of control deck Miracles, even if it wasn't Miracles, if you ask me. You're very right, (laughs) but I'm still going to call it that. Yeah, sure, sure. Like, go ahead. Like. <laughs> a terminus is a terminus. I mean, it's still got the miracle mechanic. Thank you. Yeah, see, Callum gets it. <laughs> now, Jeff, are you playing right. the one terminus just to annoy Julian, I think? Um, <laughs> no, I actually think it is an important tool in yeah. the deck. I had played a little bit without any terminuses, and it felt like you do want that sort of effect somewhere in your deck. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, let's actually go over the list. Uh, if you want to see the list, I'm going to link it in the show notes, and you can also find it on mtgo.com. Uh, it's first of all, I'm not even sure if we should call it like a mid-range or a control deck, and I also think that it doesn't really technically matter, but uh, it usually describes the feel you get while you play it, right? Is yeah, it, that's true. Is it more like a mid-range deck, more a control deck? That's true. Yeah, I, I've never focused too much on those distinctions. Um, I will say. I think that in general, if you could make a distinction, midrange usually plays more like sorceries and more like tap out sort of stuff, whereas control tries to be more like instant focused. To me, this feels like playing a control deck. You know, you a lot of your creatures have flash. You're playing a lot of instants. Um, Teferi lets you, you know, do things in their end step. So I personally feel like it's a control deck, but if someone wanted to call it a midrange deck, you know, I wouldn't really push back on that at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in the end, it's it's really just semantics. But this, to me, is really skirting the line of, of whether one should really still consider control deck. But I, I do certainly see the, the control elements in it. I'm trying to get myself to like the deck because I really like Bond. And I kind of like what we see that's going on there. And let's just go through a couple of, of interesting things here. You mentioned how you feel that the Planeswalkers are currently underrated. And some of the creatures, like Uro, are overrated. And that also reflects in, in your choice of only playing two Uros, but two Teferi Time Revelers, and even an Arset, which we haven't really yeah, seen a so, lot Yeah, so, you know, before before I get flamed on Twitter, uh, <laughs> Uro and Oko are obviously very, very strong cards, <laughs> but I think that they can't be your only game plan, I think is kind of what I'm trying to say uh, by that statement. And I think that Teferi and Narset offer very, like, important tools 
for just like fighting against the metagame in general. I think especially when you're behind, Oko really doesn't shine very well. You know, like maybe it makes a 3-3 or stops your opponent's like, you know, creature with a text box, but then it just dies on the way back. Whereas Teferi, you know, even when you're behind, it's still drawing you that card and kind of regaining a little bit of tempo for you. And then I think, honestly, I think Narsa is just like criminally underplayed in this format. I think that what happened was... You know, it was really good when War of the Spark was released, and then when Renin 6 was printed, it lined up very poorly against that card. But now that Ren is gone, the community hasn't really adapted yet to playing it again. So yeah, I think it's really good. It's really good against all the Gristlebrand decks. It lines up well against Uro because obviously they can't draw the card. I think it just has like a lot of, you know, matchups where it's it's a good card. I really agree with you there. I think Narset is also, yeah, really underrated. It's kind of still poor versus Delver. But your deck just like shores up Delver in so many other ways. I think you can afford to play the Narsets, which is just like, what Narset is? It? You played one, right? Yeah, it's Narset. Yeah, I play one. Yeah, but still, no, I, I still agree that like one to two in these kind of decks, because because you have so many tools to beat Delver. I think she's so powerful in so many other matchups, as you say, like Crystal Brand decks, Control Mirrors. Yeah, I'm very very on board with this. I agree with everything you said. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and I, I agree with you that it's it's not at its best against Delver. I just recently found myself asking on Twitter what's like the best way to to fight against decks that draw a ton of cards. Obviously, like in, in, in the F's colors. So playing Narset wasn't really an option. But you're to playing me. you're playing Oko and L. Yeah, right? I was gonna you say play, you can play blue. Yeah. That's double blue though. It's a little just a little burst the ranges into yeah, Narset. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's that's maybe you could play Astrolabe so you can filter guys' oh, cradle into blue. <laughs> Oh yeah, and maybe just cut all the bad elves hey, and this start is playing Polaris and stuff. Yeah, you. I think oh, we are onto something. You know, one of the holy grails of elf stack building has always been like, can we make Force of Will work in the deck somehow? Because we we can deal with like mm-hmm. the card disadvantage and stuff, but it w- it was easier when Probe was still around. Just play so Painter Seven, like, so you can actually order for Iona. Oh, I just remembered why we invited you to be a guest tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Callum sees all the lines. Eric, how is it going for you? Have you faced this deck quite a lot? Uh, is this something that, that um, interests you? I mean. It looks like a similar iteration to the control decks that people have been playing for forever. <laughs> I'd like to say, I mean, the, these these decks <laughs> are trying to play the strongest cards in the format and have a removal suite surrounding them. And it looks like it's, I mean, the one terminus, it looks to me like the removal suite has become less important recently. I mean, looking it's at obviously it, miracles, though, so... Yeah, it's obviously miracles. But I mean, I guess with Ice Fang, Quaddle, and Uro, and Uro, sorry, not Uro, Oko, our removal and, so you don't need as yeah. much removal, it seems. So the thing is, that, yeah, Uro and Oko, they, they do so much for board um, presence. And like, the Teferis kind of do as well, just buying you tempo. Mm-hmm. That if, you, if you're like affecting the board and getting some tempo here and there, like having a sweep is just less important. So we'll get to the list soon as well. Like Anorak did very well in the Super Qualifier. He played two Dead of Winters, which is like the same kind of role as Terminus, obviously. So I think sweepers do have a place in these decks. And we did see these kind of style of decks start to crop up with no sweepers at all. And I think they really struggle with DNT and Maverick and stuff because you're really relying on the spot removal. And like even just like a Sylvan Safekeeper would completely crush you. And Veil of Summer is good against if you're like relying on Teferi or Oko as your removal on important creatures. So I think I really like the inclusion of Terminus and Dead of Winter in these kind of decks, like one to two copies. But you can definitely be like have draws against these uh, these mainly creature decks where you just have too many sweepers, and you, and you are affecting the board as well. And it's like there is a little bit of tension there. So yeah, I think 
these guys have built it pretty well. Yeah, so my, my thoughts on the on the most recent iterations as far as matchups go, um, it seems like the Delver matchups have gotten better than they used to be, at least from my perspective of playing Delver and limit, limited experience playing these type of decks. Yeah, Uro plus removal like, really crushes Delver. Yeah, it seems like this deck should be very, very strong against Delver, whereas like traditional Miracles, I think, was just strong at best against Miracles. I mean, against Delver. Yeah. Like, I didn't feel like when I was playing Delver that I was scared of Miracles, basically. Now, I feel like if I'm playing Delver, I can't really expect to beat these decks. Yeah. Uro, just the presence in the deck and, like, some multiple of copies. But yeah. it's like, I don't know, I don't think they can really afford to bring in any kind of graveyard hate, so it is, like, it actually an inevitability. So they have to play a tempo game yeah, rather yeah. than a grindy game, which I think was possible. I think Delver was able to grind miracles in the past, which people may, maybe didn't agree with or realize, but yeah. Yeah, I think I think you'll, you know, the metagame obviously evolves. I think that some of the Delver strategies have started to kind of up their game as far as facing these decks is concerned. Your Grixis Delver has Cling to Dust, which has been, just like it's a way to deal with Uro, but it's also a nice grindy tool. That's um, true. Yeah, which is good. I've also seen some more all-in sort of strategies where uh, the player who took second in in uh, this event was playing Sulfuric Vortex on their sideboard, and that two-minute enchantment uh, that has like the Eidolon effect. I forget what it's Pyrostatic called. Pyrostatic pillar. Thank you. Yes, Pyrostatic yeah. pillar. You know, basically to just like punish these decks that are trying to play ten-plus turn games. Yeah, it was a really, really heads-up list. Quite different yeah. than usual. Well, maybe the, the sideboard, I guess, as for exactly the cards you're saying. Yeah, definitely. It feels like sometimes those cards will lose you the game. You know, like if you're a little bit behind on the board, you know, these cards yeah. are really bad. But they will probably win you the game more often than they will lose you the game. So Fruit Vortex especially seems like insane. I was wondering, like, when I saw they were, I was watching Anorag stream against them, and when I saw the Vortex, I was like, okay, this is genius. This is a perfect card to beat these control decks. Mm-hmm. But these control decks, well, Anorags is playing Abrupt Decay and stuff as well. So I was wondering if that deck can afford to, like, splash green for... I mean, there is Rug Delver already, but, like, Veil mm-hmm. of Summer would be so good against this deck as well. <laughs> if, you, if you can protect a Vortex, then you probably yeah, win. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, it feels like the Delver decks are behind. But then you're also very much moving into mid-range territory, right? That's true. Like that's a, that's such a reactive card. Like usually the Delver approach hasn't really been to like protect your threat with a veil of mm-hmm. summer against this kind of. But deck. but uh, so very vortex is going to win the game, right? Like that's that's going to win. It's kinda like I think the deck, especially when you play more Uros. I mean, obviously vortex is also a concession yeah. to to Uro, right? And and we see, for example, Anorak playing four copies of Uro to really go yeah. go super deep on that card. But the thing still hits for like. I mean, you're like, playing power blasts, so... and vortex does give you a window where they need to win in. So I think I think the list had three pyroblasts. I could be wrong there without looking it up. But like pyroblasts is still good against Euro if you're clocking them somehow. That's a really um, good point, yeah. Vortex is that clock. So you, you can afford to, for them to play it twice if they're not getting the life off it and then Vortex will close them out. So I don't know. I, I'm just kind of spitballing an idea of playing Protect the Queen with a sort of Vortex against these control decks. But I think having so much removal plus removal for this Vortex... Yeah, you, you need some way to do it. Yeah, plus you have to consider that the Delver player is usually a good deal higher on life total just because, you know, of the sorts of plowshares. Like, you know, if they've gained yeah. like five or six life to start, you know, they're winning that race like pretty yeah, strongly at the start of when the Vortex comes down. Yeah, definitely don't get me wrong. Like, I think Vortex is one of the most amazing cards like ever you could play against control strategies. I just, I'm not 
super sold on the idea of protecting it with, like Vale of Summer because I think outside of like having Vortex in play, Vale really really isn't all that great against the kind of decks you would want it against. Mm, potentially, I mean, yeah, out of Devon. I'm talking specifically not for Jeff's deck for the um like the bug splash white kind of decks because they are playing abrupt decays and yeah they're yeah. playing two abrupt decays right uh, like I, I yeah I, I, don't I, know. I get you <laughs> I, li- I really it's like vortex so good <laughs> every time I play control and they and it like resolves against you like. <laughs> Fuck! I don't know. Like, <laughs> there's so little you can do apart from actually have to kill it. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm barking down the wrong tree, but it's no. I, I, I like where your head's at. Approach. I think that I think that Delver players right now just kind of, as it stands, the way you, you maybe want to construct your deck, you're not beating these mid range piles, um, which is definitely a paradigm shift from like maybe yeah. like six months ago. So I think you need to take more drastic measures. I've seen Winter Orb a lot too, which I think is a really really. Mm-hmm. Good way to tax. Yeah. Winter Orb is fantastic. Again, if you have like the, I think you need to play like at least three Pyroblasts to deal with Uro. I and can see it, that. You, you need to back it up with this. Like, yeah, Winter Orb is also great, or Vortex or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, how often do you actually get to what's it called escape Euro uh, from the graveyard? Because when people say you need to Pyroblast it, it's at least going to come back once, right? And maybe over over the like twice is not unheard of. Yeah, so I think Callum's point was that you can Pyroblast, you can afford to Pyroblast it once or twice if you're like winning the race somehow. Obviously, if you don't have some sort of pressure down, it'll just keep coming back. I would say the first two escapes are pretty like given, and then after that, you know, you really have to kind of work for it or be very late in the game. That's been, that's exactly my experience as well. They uh, like make, doing it, playing it twice from the graveyard is, unless they've opened with like, Tom and Delver turn to, like Pyromancer, not Arcanist, then that's where you like you're you're under so much pressure that the, the first one gets dazed and the second one time second time you're dead by then. Yeah. But if they turn one ponder, that's almost like you're guaranteed to play it a second time. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty easy. You just play a normal game and it comes out. Okay. To, to get a little bit deeper on, on the deck lists and ev- even just the color choices themselves, uh, Caleb already mentioned that if you're comparing it to Anorak, who placed third in the event, by the way, check out his the VOD. It should be on his stream, I think. I, I was watching it live and it was heartbreaking to see him lose in the, in the semifinals because it looked really like he was going to take it. But then, yeah, I think Sophric Vortex also played a part mm-hmm. in that. And he actually lost to Dreadhought Arcanist's Trample Damage, <laughs> which, oh my god, man. <laughs> like, losing a PTQ final is basically to that. That must be so bad. I think he was dead anyway, but it's it's a funny story. He was l- likely dead, right? Because yeah. I think Stefan mentioned that he he had, like, a read on Pyroblast near Poland's yeah. Sandwich. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's something for the VOD. To, the main difference, of course, is that Anorak is playing black, while Jeff, you have decided not to play black and only have like a very minor si- a splash for red in the sideboard. So walk us through this. So why, why do you think you don't really need Stead of Winter and Abrupt Decays? Yeah, so I guess, and also going back to kind of why I, I like to call this Miracles is because I really did start with the Miracle shell and then kind of adapt it to, you know, the new cards that were being printed and... Kind of my main focus was to um, increase the consistency of the deck. I think that Miracles has a very powerful cards, but oftentimes if you see like when they lose a game, it's because they have like two copies of Terminus in their hand that they can't cast or, you know, a Jace that they didn't, you know, have enough mana for, things like that. And I think the fourth color is kind of in this vein where I'm sure there are some matchups where you want the black cards, you know, like Dead of Winter or Plague Engineer, things like that. But you also have to consider what is lost in the consistency of your deck and like your colors and your fetching patterns and like i did actually get a chance to watch anurag's semifinals match and you can definitely see that like there was a lot of tension for him as to 
like what lands he wanted to fetch to preserve his colors, but also play around Wasteland. And, you know, he wanted Basic Island, but he also wanted to cast Abrupt Decay, things like that. And so I, I think if you're just straight three colors, you don't really come into these problems as frequently. Um, and I don't feel like you sacrifice too much power to do that. Yeah, like you mentioned, you, you want more consistency. Anorak is, is opting for, I guess, more flexibility by having a property case in the main. Um, as somebody who's heavily affected by, you know, sweepers when, in, in the decks I like to play, like Maverick and Fs, I, I look at this and I, I feel like, okay, how many sweepers do I really have to, like, work around and stuff? And are there not that many decks that you really want sweepers against right now? Because even after sideboarding, that you have uh, Terminus and then a supreme verdict in the sideboard. Does it like how how do the games play out for you? Do you think that Kotal and like the four yeah. supply, are there four? Yeah, you you play four <laughs> supporters, like a yeah. Mage. <laughs> he has the decay. Like so, so do you feel that's enough? I do feel like it's enough. I think that I think that the decks that you really really would want more sweepers for just aren't super popular. Like elves, I think actually would be a good, you know, deck where you would appreciate, you know, a third or maybe even a fourth sweeper. But I found that between um, containment priest or graph digger's cage, you're not really losing to their like big flashy finishes uh, too often. So then you can kind of grind them out a little bit. It's tough. I think that if you look at the metagame as a whole, you're going to win more games by having less terminuses in your deck. Yeah, that's certainly the trend that I seem to see across the board in all these control decks. I think another big big strike against Terminus is Dreadful Arcanist. Like, that card, they can just play it and you have to answer it. And, like, if you Terminus it, it's kind of awkward on sequencing. And they, they really don't have to, like, put more into the board until they've got, like, three triggers of Arcanist. And then they're just up cards. And if you, like, Terminus, Arcanist, and a Delver or something, then they're up cards because the Arcanist is just, like... It's just insane how much value it gets. Yeah. Arcanist very much sends shivers down my spine, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Scary, scary card. Yeah, yeah. Would you say that Arcanist is one of the most format-defining cards? Like, I also have it on my mind when I build my decks, and because I feel like if I can't answer Arcanist immediately, yeah. it will probably... For me, it's very much controls. the scary card out of Delver. Like, Delver of Secrets is just... It doesn't cut it anymore. You know, it's a card you put in the tempo archetype, but I think that Arcanist and Pyromancer, and sometimes Oko, are really what are pushing those decks over the finish line. Um, I actually feel differently. I think I think Delver is still my most feared card from Delver. It's just because it costs one mana. Like you can you can play Abrupt Decay to kill the two mana threats and when you're trading mana evenly it's okay. But it's just like when when I'm facing down Tom on Delver, that's I don't know. Maybe maybe I could be off base, but I'm I still think I don't know, I'm probably against a lot of other people here, but I think Delver is still the best threat in the deck. It's just that it's like and it's just just being one manner is so so insane in legacy. I guess you could argue that that the the existence of Delva makes the deck work in the first place. Like the deck That's already a good exists before Arcanist, but Arcanist is like the new big thing that really like yeah. needs to be answered. Like Arcanist would probably exist in a different shell if Delva didn't exist. I don't think I don't think Arcanist would be good if you couldn't tempo out with the card in the deck. I think you see people trying to make it work in like a <clears throat> Monastery Mental deck, but it is it is a slow threat. It's just a very very powerful threat that gains card advantage. But you need to have some way to push through damage. Like if you look at um Rug Delver currently, they're playing four Tamagoyfs, two Dreadful Darkness because they they care about card advantage. They have Oko, which is like a pseudo card advantage engine, as well as two Arcanists. But like Delver still needs to kill people in in some time frame. Like if you play against Show and Tell, they're gonna eventually have enough mana to pay through all your 
soft counter magic, whatever. Like you need, you do need to get people dead. So yeah, exactly as you said. I think Delver, it, it's the reason the deck can exist, and then because of that, that's why Arcanist is so good. Yeah, and I think you bring a, a good point as far as like considering the other strategies that Delver has to face. Obviously, you know we do what we can to you know look at things from an unbiased unbiased perspective. But you know when I'm talking about Delver, you know I'm focused on how the cards line up against you know me, and yeah. so you know I'm sure that Goyf is the uh, the better th- you know threat to have four of, and you know Rich Kelly is an amazing Delver player, but. I have breathe a sigh of relief when I see four Tarmogoyfs and two Arcanist <laughs> and not the other way around. Yeah, that's so, totally true. From yeah. your deck, you're just like, God, thank God it's a Goyf. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And, and I think same with Delver too. Just like these control decks have so much passive life gain at this point between yeah. Uro and Oko that you kind of can just like buy enough time to get your threat online before Delver kills you. Yeah, the decks I've been playing have been like, fuck, that's a Delver. Fuck, that's a Goyf. I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned life gain. I see four, uh, two copies of Seven Library in Anorak's list, and you instead opted to play back to basics. I can see that with four Oro, like the the Seven Libraries, you get a lot more value out of them. Basically, it turns Oro into draw two cards on on enter the battlefield and attack. Yeah, I did put one library in the sideboard, kind of for these sort of mirror matches. But yeah, that's that's a good point. Where I think that library and Oro just have some really you know strong synergy together, and so it makes sense that. Um, if you're going to play more Uros, you probably want to play more libraries too, and vice versa. But for me, it just it didn't feel like it was super necessary to win games that way. I feel like Teferi does kind of like a similar role of like providing card advantage compared to library. Because like if you're bouncing like Astrolabor or Coatl, you're plus two cards. And can you tell us a little bit about the back to basics? How did that end up in your list? Uh, like, is it specifically against, for example, um, but? Obviously, it's not against a single deck, right? But I see a lot of Eldrazi lately, and I'm wondering if that's also part of the of the factor to include it. I, I assume the back to basics is a concession to, like, the Eldrazi's been doing really well. I think uh, Bob Huang recently did like a breakdown of the meta game top performers, and Eldrazi was top. Like, it's it's funny how like a little change in a deck can just make such a huge impact. So um, people started putting in once upon a time, influenced by that happening in Eldrazi Tron and modern. Then you obviously switch Elvish Spirit Guide to Simeon Spirit Guide. And then just the, the other consistency for once upon a time to find uh, like the Turn 1 Ancient Tomb while Drowsy Temple. So it's really, really made the deck like just way more aggressive. It's just faster. So yeah, Eldrazi's been doing very well and it's pretty terrifying. So back to basics makes sense there. It's also a good like kind of inevitability plan versus Delver in a way. Why do you think Eldrazi's been doing well recently? I think I think Chalice is again good. Like it's it fluctuates, right? Like, it's kind of... I think it is good against these Oko decks, even if they have ways to answer it. I think turning off Astrolabe early and obviously Brainstorm, Swords, Ponder, your usual suspects. It's just good, but then, like, I don't know. The added consistency from Once Upon a Time really has made a very obvious effect to, to from my experience with Eldrazi. The deck has just always been powerful, though. So yeah. I think it's always kind of underplayed because people don't want to play this. Yeah, that's why, that's why I always wonder when... There's like these moments where people start playing a lot of Eldrazi <laughs> in the format. Yeah. And I can never quite figure it out because I don't ever feel like it's really that much better positioned than it was when people weren't playing it at all. No, uh, I totally agree. It's It won a challenge two weeks ago, I think, which so is like one step to people playing it more. And it's done pretty well. Like it top eighted the super qualifier as well that we've been talking about. Yeah. And I think it, it just kind of needed these, these little twists. So I know... Um, 
Rodrigo Tagores was like it was his list that won the challenge with the friend Patsy and it, it is has been out of this one upon a time that's kind of pushed it a bit further and I don't know I just thought that Uru would actually push the deck completely out of the format because it's a 6-6 that draws cards and gains life that's insane against Eldrazi but somehow they just they're really really fast that's the thing like even if they don't have the chalice hands it is a super fast deck yeah, that can have like it has nut draws as well. So I don't know. I, I agree with you though. It's it never seems like insane, but it just has these points where it's you know, picks up. Yeah, and I I just noticed, yeah, that it just picks up in popularity massively in certain for certain periods of time, and then and then it slowly disappears as people put one more answer in their sideboard or something. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, in in this uh, super qualifier. One player made top eight, it was Yama Killer. He streams a lot. Mm-hmm. Everyone probably knows him. He lost to the second place player on Blue Red Delver because they had Blood Moon. Mm. So it was actually yes. game three. You should definitely go and watch the VOD. It's on Yama Killer's like save videos or probably his YouTube. It's a super crazy game three where like he has Blood Moon, but he he's, he has a Jitte and he has a couple of Mastery Shapers in play ready. And the Delver player has two true names. And it it comes down to the wire, like the the devil plays at one life, and it's it's pretty crazy. Hmm. But the blood moon obviously won. Like he's stuck with reality smashes in hand and stuff. So yeah, that's probably a, I mean a pretty good nod to Eldrazi. Yeah. So the next deck we were gonna look at is this Dryad of the Elysian Grove deck that also plays Chalice of the Void. So do you think? Yeah. I'm kind of thinking it's just another Chalice deck. I played it. It was it's a pretty sweet deck. It's very fun. Yeah. I'm not sure how good it is. <laughs> I'm still a bit skeptical as well. So technically, I made this deck. It was um, <clears throat> I was talking to Max Gilmore, and, we, and I was completely bored of every deck in the format because I've played them all a few times. And he was like, "Callum, you just need to make a new deck because <laughs> I can tell you don't like anything at all." So I was like, okay, fine. So technically, it's just a modern deck. Like uh, the Titan Field decks have been doing well in modern. And I'd asked him like a week before, saying, "Do you think?" this style of deck could work in Legacy. And he thought I meant Cloudpost. But I was like, no, 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 like Stompy. Dryad of these Listing Grove is a really powerful card, especially. Like, that's what got me thinking that this could work. And Mm -hmm. so I I think the deck is pretty powerful, but I think it's still not built right. I think, like, a few little points in the deck. Mox Diamond, I think, is terrible, and I'm just going to cut it completely. (laughs) I played the deck in the Super Qualifier as well, and I played one Mox Diamond, and I drew it three times, and I lost every game I drew it. So. Yeah, I can see that. The the the, uh, the version I played was on my stream. Somebody sent me a list and it had uh, Summer's Bloom, which was definitely a mistake. And that's oh, that's um, similar that's to the Mox Diamond, but way weird. worse. Yeah. <laughs> so luckily, I never drew the card, so I didn't ever. Lo- I only lost a few games because I drew Summer's Bloom, <laughs> but it was basically a dead card in the deck. But there were a, a couple of things that got the engine going beyond just the obvious like combo with Dryad. I mean, Dryad. Half the stuff in your deck doesn't really do anything without Dryad of the Elysian Grove, yeah. which I think is like the, one thing that might be worth considering changing. But the Ruminap Excavator as a one of, I kind of want more than one of those because that's one of the oh, main... I'm playing three of those. Yeah. That card okay. is fantastic. Like, yeah. Cool. I, th- I think what you played must have been like, my very first list had two Excavators, I think, and I had four Dryads. And like the numbers were a bit off. I had more Tireless Trackers because I just thought the card would be fantastic, but actually mm-hmm. it's kind of... Slow versus Delver. And I'm actually considering cutting Charles the Void and just playing three or four Trinospheres and playing like explorations. Yeah, one of the issues I saw, I found with the deck was 
somebody like surgical my dry out of the Elysian Grove, and I was like, okay, uh, I have to win with Primeval Titan. <laughs> I have to win with the six six basically. Titan for Field of the Dead is pretty powerful though. Like that's how I beat the um, any of the Snoko decks. Yeah, I think, I think they had I, actually dealt with my Field of the Dead too, and I, I only think I had one in the list. Oh, I see. Yeah, I think they should be two as well. Yeah, so, I think I, it, I think you want multiple ways to pull cards out of your grave or lands out of your graveyard. So multiple excavators and yeah. uh yeah and then that that helps with the if you if you lose your dryad to the Elysian groves then you can win with field of the dead so that that helps quite a bit yeah. there yeah so i agree though so I, th- I think the deck is still i think has a lot of potential to be like a good deck it's not it's mm-hmm. it's quite easily beatable if you want to beat it so if if it, it'll never become like the best deck in the format It'll never do that. I guess you can always play choke against it. I, I just recently noticed that choke and <laughs> choke uh, really flowers are insane against the dryad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the list. The list I had to had choke in it. <laughs> 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 there was a few, a few oversights in the. Really? I actually. Yeah. I mean, like I said, somebody said uh, it was a donation deck, so there, there was some oversights okay, in deck building with it. Um, but I still managed to three two because the the shell of it's pretty powerful. Yeah, I think one thing is I started with four Primeval Titans. And so um, Kellen Pastel has been doing some really good work on the deck. He's the odd engineer on Twitter. People want to check it out. So he's still been on like three or four Titans most of the time. And he's been maximizing casting that, which is a good approach. Like he's been playing four. He was the one that went to four Ancient Tombs first. I just started with two. But I think he recently tried a deck with just one Titan to Greenson's end with four. And then he was playing like... Um, Elvish Reclaimers and No Chalices, and just more of the Tireless Trekkers, like Excavators, just and a course of Crufix. And I think this is a really good approach to like just lower the curve. You can still, like, you can tutor for Field of the Dead or Valakit when you have the Dryad or the necessary things each way. So I think there's loads of exploration to be done, like pun intended, because you, you should try exploration with the deck. It's very, very good with Excavator. I just think the shell is very strong as like a, a role player in the format. It's another Chalice deck, but it has a really good, like fair game plan as well. And this deck absolutely crushes the Snowcoat decks. So if you want something so to you would say that, this is much better than, than the Dino Stumpy deck we tried to brew in, in green? Mm, <laughs> maybe a little say, bit. Ju- just say yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> very much so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I built the deck with the, the idea in mind of like, it's it's a really boring combo, but it's just the combo of Cavern of Souls plus Primeval Titan. Just beats the Snowco decks. Wait, you built that deck? Yeah, I built this deck. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Okay. Yeah. Good. So while you were uh, helping with Jeff, we can cut this bit out. But yeah, I built this deck. So anyway, we can get back to it. So um, yeah, the idea was I wanted to beat Snowco and I wanted to build a new deck was the other half the reason. Cavern plus Titan for Field of the Dead, it just beats Snowco. Like I've seen some games where someone's like clawing back from it, but it's very rare. Yeah, the cavern seemed extremely important and powerful. The version I played was significantly different because it wasn't even playing Chalice the Boy, but it was it, it was playing all the the comp, the lands and the combo and the green sun units and stuff like that. And I did feel like there were some upsides to the version I were playing with with the one drops and uh, crop rotation seemed it seemed a lot like lands actually. The deck seemed a lot like lands, but with all these creatures. Mm-hmm. And it, and when I was playing it, I said it was like it feels like playing lands if lands was fun to play. <laughs> <laughs> The deck has some really nut draws. Like, again, my first versions had four Mox Diamonds, and I played some, um, like, turn one Dryad, turn two Titan. Like, that's pretty powerful. Yeah. 
and it's really, really funny putting in Primeval Titan against Show and Tell. Like, I've beaten Show and Tell multiple times because they put in something, if it's not Omnitel, uh, Omniscience, and then you put in Titan, get two Valakuts, play your Dryad and attack them, and it's like over 20 damage. <laughs> so it, it, can do, it can do some very powerful things. It's, it's every, I think um, Chalice decks need to be built to have some kind of nut draw, even if it's a nut draw that gets just disrupted by a Force of Will. I think you need to have this senior against the non-forceable decks to have a chance. So it, it does have that. And it has very strong grinding ability against control. So yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of potential. Just needs to be built better still. Yeah, that certainly looks exciting to me. And you mentioned you build it to build uh, to beat all the snowcore decks. Is it also decent against Starva? I could see. Obviously, you have Chalice as the natural option and, and Decay, I guess, to buy a little bit of time. But I could see it struggling a little. Yeah, Delve is hard. It's the first list again. I'll keep back to this to see where like my thought process came, came from. But it didn't have Decays in the main deck yet. I had like three Cyborg or something. And it was basically mono green because I think the mana is pretty bad, actually. Dryad does quite a lot to help fix your mana. It's weird. But um, Delver is still unfavored. So I think we need to work out better ways to do this. Like Part of the reason to cut Charles the Void is for Delver. It sounds really weird, but to play Fatal Push. <laughs> Otherwise, I think people are experimenting like with uh, Oko and Uro. And I don't think that's the answer. I think your three and four mana plays are very good against Delver already. It's the games where they wasteland you twice and daze something and yeah. you just completely fall behind. So I want to put some spiders in here. <laughs> Let's get some spiders in here. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if you're about to cut Chalice, whether you also would play Carpet of Flowers in the sideboard then. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so I've played two or three Carpet of Flowers for sure. That's another big reason to, to try that. So I played two leagues with Chalice's version and both of them were 4-1. Uh, I think I went like 3-1 and against Delver with that version. So I think there's promise there. It was with like two exploration in the main, three fatal push in the main, two couple of flowers sideboard. I think the deck should play Elvish Reclaimer then as well. Are there any kind of neat tricks that you can do with the deck? Because this is so exciting. I just ordered pizza and I want to play it now. <laughs> I think you'd really enjoy this deck, Julian. You definitely should try it. I think um, the main tricks are sequ well, not tricks. It's very hard to sequence lands. <laughs> Sequencing is the biggest <laughs> trick of them all. I found a pretty cool trick when I was playing it. The list I had had Ghost Quarter in it. And I was like ghost quartering my own lands to get more lands to play the the ghost quarter. And I, I could play um, if you have exploration, you can play like the ghost quarter and another and the land that you ghost quartered out of your graveyard That's if you have good. tireless tracker. And then you get another yes. mana source. <laughs> and and then like you're triggering your field of the deads. It's that's pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, that's it's like nice. a makeshift fetch land. Yeah, I would say tips and tricks though is. The main thing is really sequencing lands is so, so key. So you want to, because Valica is asking you to have six lands in play with a Dryad, the sixth land is the one that starts to deal damage. And Field of the Dead wants you to have seven unique lands. So this is the reason the deck plays Normal Forest and Snow-Covered Forest, for example. So when you're sequencing lands, you should not play like a second Ancient Tomb just because you can, if you're not going to use the mana straight away. Like you need to play a different land every turn while you're sequencing, just unless you also need to anticipate top decks. I lost a game in the Super Qualifier on Thursday because I had Forest, Ancient Tomb, and uh, Field of the Dead in my hand. I had no three-drop creature, but it was a hand that was it was against Snowco, so it was pretty slow and grindy, so it was okay. And I started with Field of the Dead on turn one, and I immediately drew a Dryad of the Lissing Grove. So I should you should play Forest there turn one. 
because if you don't draw a, a three-drop creature, you can just play the Field of the Dead turn two. But if I didn't, I, I could play Ancient Tomb, Dryad, Field of the Dead example. Mm -hmm. So you need to anticipate draws. And like sometimes it's right to play in the early game, right to play a second Ancient Tomb if you anticipate drawing Primeval Titan, for example, or a second Green Source. So the deck is really, really like you're maximizing your land drops to play into what's the best draw in the deck. And I've lost a lot of games learning about that so far. So just always... Every time you make a land drop, almost like look at your deck list and see what you're hoping to draw in a way. I found that I was looking at the lands, the deck list to see what all the lands on my deck very frequently. Yeah, yeah. And like you want to get a fetch land in the graveyard early because if you do a Ramnak Excavator, you then want to use that as your land drop. So like if you have the choice of like a fetch, a a forest as your turn one land to play like a... um a green sun zenith to get dried over you probably want to play the fetch so that in case you draw around x the, the following turn or something but at the same time you want to save fetches for when you have valica plus dried so it's, it's really balancing a lot of things like sequencing is the hardest part of this deck it's similar to aggro alone in a lot of ways actually like a little sequencing wrong with lands can cost you a lot you guys sound pretty excited about the deck it's that's quite captivating to, to yeah. listen to you talk about the deck no, no, I'm really into it. Like, it's the first deck in a while that's really held my attention for <laughs> three or four weeks. <laughs> Whoa, okay, that means yeah. something. I, I've always known you as the the recovering miracles dude. Like, you know, <laughs> oh, there's there's this miracle family of former miracles players, and yeah. and some of them went really deep. Like Tomas Tomas Blachek from from Prague, yeah. he went like really deep into Nickfit and explored like the tenth level of Nickfit. And then there's other people who are still trying to make control work. And and you're like the, the mad scientist, right? You, you've been jumping around a lot. Yeah, I've, I've really just been playing a lot of things. Like we, we mentioned earlier, I like Hogak a lot because I think I like anything that has... It's, it's a synergy-based deck. I think that's what I've landed on, what I like about things. I like it when you're trying to fit multiple pieces together. And then when they come together, it's like a, some the, the whole is better than the sum of their parts. That's what I enjoy. So um, that sounds I don't, like you would enjoy elves quite a bit. I do. I've played elves a couple of times, and I do enjoy it. I just haven't played it enough. I should do it more. Nobody has ever played enough elves. <laughs> <laughs> You've played it a couple of times. Too many, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but, but like once I started streaming a lot again, I also noticed like, oh my god, like this was the stupidest mistake. I think I wouldn't have made that like a year ago or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, with that, uh, I think we are going to quickly look over a couple of the new spoilers, like the new set, Ikoria, which I was just told is not set on Theros uh, anymore, but like it, it's its own world that has like a lot of dragons. and It's a land of giant monsters, is the idea. Godzilla's Corona Beam Death, Godzilla yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah. I wonder how that's going to work out. They, so for those who don't know, um, they, they printed, and I'm not kidding you, Space Godzilla Death Corona. Which is like a card, and they were like, "Yeah, this naming is kind of unfortunate. We'll we'll have to exchange them because apparently they already got like printed and shipped, and so they'll they'll try their best to remove the card and name it something else." Uh, but I wonder if those are going to be rare and like collectors' oh, items in the future. They'll they'll be worth money. I think their their response was very good. Like they've clearly made the the name way before this outbreak, so it's just really unfortunate. And they've said they'll replace the copies online it'll be errated and they're doing everything they can i think it's i think they've done it pretty well yeah yeah i'm i'm wondering to me like i don't care that much really about standard i i'm more fascinated with seeing godzilla and magic now even though it, it like the entire set looks a bit weird 
and has like three versions of everything not every single card but a couple of the the um, the, the spoiler yeah. cards basically i'll be honest i i usually keep up to date with almost everything i'm usually i know what everything is i know what spoilers are but i'm a bit lost on what sets because there's a new commander set being spoiled currently as well so we've got oh, yeah, that, that one right we've got new new commanders then we've got the special Ikoria cards and i'm just starting to work it out it's a bit wild so that's why I collected, uh, well, was it, is it like nine most promising cards out of Ikoria? Um, at yeah. least cards that people will discuss in the context of Legacy, right? I, I don't think we will see all of them in Legacy. But let's start yeah. with the really big one, and that's Fiend Artisan. It's hybrid mana, black green, black green, a 1-1 one, one nightmare. Fiend Artisan gets plus one, plus one for each creature card in your graveyard. And you can tap it, pay a hybrid, and X sacrifice another creature and then you get to search your library for a creature that has the same converted mana cost or less and put it onto the battlefield and you can only activate it as a sorcery unfortunately so you can't like use it to to get value out of your opponent's removal spells Caleb, how do you feel about the card i think you were pretty excited about this i think it's really cool and it's a card that i want to build the deck around i think like it's the, the most obvious, like, uh, home will be Nick Fit, because you can sacrifice your Vesper Explorer, you can Green Sun Zenith for it, it could just cost two mana in the same colors. I think it could definitely see some play there. I just think the card is not great. Like, it's going to get some Birthing Pod um, similarities as well, but why Birthing Pod is so good is because you the input after you've cast it is so low, like the low mana cost. But here you're paying... You're going X hybrid, sacrifice another creature, such as every creature card with a point of mana cost X or less. So you're paying the mana cost for the creature each time, basically. And then it gets plus one plus one for each creature in your graveyard. Like it's it's your graveyard as well, not every other graveyard, so it's not like a Talmogoyf. If it was each graveyard, it could be very good because it could be like a two mana, three, three, or four, four easily, but I think the card just won't really see play. It's apart from like Nick Fit and some bruise. I could be very wrong, but I think it's just a really, really cool one. Not like a yeah, I think the, the actual comparison is Green Sun Sunnet, right? Because a lot of people mentioned Pot, and you mentioned why that fears off because Pot was such an easy investment once it has resolved. It's here, it's it's really more like you, you get continuous Green Sun Sunnets for any kind of creature, so not only green ones. I guess but so, yeah. given the extra work you have to do and how vulnerable it is, it, like yeah, it, this it, is not really an engine, right? It's just, it's just a two-mana creature that's probably getting bolted and like... And it requires a big mana input, sacrificing creatures. Like, you can't play it turn two and then activate it because you need to have another creature to sacrifice as well. So you need to have played, like, yeah. a Terminal Explorer. And then, yeah. like, turn three, you, yeah, yeah, it just doesn't seem too great to me. Very cool yeah, artwork. The, the only <laughs> thing you, you get out of it is, like, continuous enters the battlefield effects. But I yeah. think Legacy has moved on from, like... Yeah. Having the time to, to really leverage something like, I don't know, Necratal or, or, or something like that. Yeah. I don't know, Eric, do, do you see anything in the card? Uh, well, I misread it the first time. I thought it was going to be insane. I thought it said for each card in your graveyard. <laughs> 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 All right, that'd be uh, but after rereading it, no, I'm not really seeing it. It's going to be hard to make it big uh, unless you're a creature deck and then it's going to be hard to protect it. So uh, I'm not really seeing it as I, I like. I think it will be played, like you said, in Nick Fit, but I don't think it'll be good. <laughs> it's yeah. the perfect Nick Fit card. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like somebody on Reddit said, it has a mana cost. It's the perfect Nick Fit card. Oh, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So moving on, we move on to uh, not Dora. What's it called? Dorot? 
Dorat, Dorat, the perfect pet. But that's actually not what it's called, right? No, it's called it's... Spir Sprite Dragon. Yeah. Or Spirit Dragon. I think this one has potential. I think I think this card is quite good, but it might just turn out to be another Storm Chaser Mage where it's his fringe Delver play. But the really good thing is Storm Chaser Mage is not very good with counter magic because it's not getting any. Uh, can can we quickly mention what it does for people oh, listening? Sorry. Yeah, so for a blue and a red, it's a 1-1 Fairy Dragon. It has Flying and Haste, and whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a 1-1 counter on it, whatever it's called, Sprite Dragon. Sprite Dragon's yeah. direction, I think. <laughs> we have the uh, problem yeah. here. So I think the, the really big plus side, as I started to mention, was uh, it, the obvious comparison to Storm Chaser Mage, which is uh, the one red for a 1-3 Haste Flying Prowess. I think this is a pretty big upgrade to the card because every time you're casting Force of Will or Daze or Spellpierce on your opponent's turn, it's keeping this ability. And then, like, once you've cast a couple of things or your opponent tries to bolt it, you should need to cast two things and it's out of range of bolt. So it's it's hard to tell if Delver can, uh, like, afford to play a two-mana threat that just dies to a removal spell, like Tarmogoyf, which we were just talking about how good it is earlier. Yeah, I, th I think it has a lot of potential, actually. This is probably the best card from the set for Legacy so far, in my opinion. I think it's. I think this effect is basically already available and hasn't put any deck over the top, so I don't I don't know if this is a huge upgrade. There's that Merfolk that has Flash. It doesn't have Flying, but it has Flash, which I think is better. Which, which one is that? It's a 2-1 with Flash, and whenever you cast a spell on your opponent's turn, it gets a plus one, plus one counter. Oh yeah, but then it's not like getting advantage from when you're pondering and brainstorming. Yeah, it's, it's Brian Bourne Cutthroat. Yeah, that one. This is flying as well. I think it's I think it's a lot better than that one. And then the Storm Chaser Mage is hard to bolt. So I I mean I I think I think it's definitely playable. Yeah, I think it's better than Brian Bourne Cutthroat. But I'm saying it's not that much different than things we have available already yeah uh, i don't think it's gonna put any i don't think it's gonna it's not gonna be like arcanist where it's like insanely good and, and a staple no, I, of, of i definitely agree with you there i think it's a, a bit better than the cutthroat and it's a bit better than the storm chaser mage but it's yeah you, you're right it's we, we have comparisons i think it's better than both though so maybe that's what yeah, pushes it and I, I agree it is probably better it flying haste pretty solid yeah. um that it it's going to Get the counters with every non-creature spell you cast. That's definitely a big plus. And that they yeah. stick around is like the biggest plus. But then the minus there is like uh, Storm Chaser Mage. Is, like I said, it's hard to bolt. This thing, you can just bolt yeah. it. You can and you can't. Like if you play it and then you like you play a cantrip after it and then they try and bolt it and then you just daze. It's then out. Yeah, I mean, if you have the mana to do all that. But the cool thing about the Storm yeah. Chaser Mage is you you don't really want to point a bolt at it because days is always live today's your bolt yeah yeah and I, I think this is like a it could be i think it would be played in blue red delver at least it'll definitely be tried and i think it's like a two of maybe three of and it pitches to forceful think, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> don't forget the thing about this card is is that blue red diver already has like so many good two drops right you have dreaded arcanist you have young pyromancer sometimes they even played like snapcaster mage and stuff and I really think that if you play this card, you're either going to go the way of what, I guess we could call it like Blue-Red Blitz or Blue-Red Diver, Turbo Diver, whatever, or or more of a, well, Pyromancer and Stratford Arcanist-focused thing that also has like all of these like three drops and also three drops from the sideboard. Whereas this one would be really trying to to get there by turn four, almost, I want to say, turn four, turn five, the latest. 
and that's yeah. what what Sprite Dragon or Spirit Dragon. I don't. Even I think know. it could be played Sprite in Dragon Dilver shells, like without Wasteland, is like a, like the the prowess versions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the trials version, the, the yeah. ones that, that usually try to 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 get you pretty quickly. True. Yeah. But yeah, I agree that this one has the most potential and this is the most likely to actually see play. But yeah, moving on from here, uh, we got Manascape Refractor. It's a three mana artifact. It enters the battlefield tapped and it has all activated abilities of all lands on a battlefield. And you may spend mana as though it was mana of any color to pay the activation costs of, of those abilities. So this is really like at the core, this is a mana rock that comes into play tapped. But it also has all the other activated abilities. So the obvious use of the card here is to use Thespian Stage to copy the, uh, Dark Depth. I'm just not sure where exactly we, we would see that kind of card. Is there anything else that comes to mind for you guys? I mean, you can Wasteland, I guess. It costs three, so you can cast it with uh, Mishra's Workshop. <laughs> but otherwise, <laughs> I, I I don't really get the card. I think it's sweet. That that looks like a, like you can act you can Wasteland them every turn. <laughs> Well, you have to sacrifice it, right? Wait, what? Yeah, it's the, oh, you do? You have to sacrifice it. Okay, yeah, never mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, maybe I'm missing something, but I think this looks like a kind of just a bit of a janky weird card. Yeah, it's not really a hate card, right? Like, technically, you could bring it in against Dark Depth and then use their Thespian stage to copy their Dark Depth when they are tapped out, but... That's a lot then of mana. You're still only, yeah. like, not doing that much. So yeah, I, I think we can just move on from that card. And... <laughs> I, th- I think people will try and vintage with the workshop, though. It's kind of cool there. Just to get more workshops, yeah, yeah, I can yeah. see that. Yeah, uh, or or I guess you get to use Bazaar of Baghdad and workshop, which can sometimes like draw you into what you need. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, <laughs> we are going deep yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> Next one, we have a flying whale. It's heavenly whale. It's four colorless and two blue. It has stealth, which is the most important thing. Three, three flying. And when it attacks, you may put an instant or sorcery card exiled with Heavenly Veil into your hand. So basically, you delve away. The idea is that you delve away a bunch of your spells, and then the Veil gets them back whenever he gets to attack. Actually, the more I'm reading it, the less I'm thinking it's actually going to work. <laughs> I, I I disagree. I think this this card has I want to say more potential than Dorat, but I mean Dorat's more straightforward. <laughs> I think this card looks great. I think it's it's like it's so close. It's, if it's a three four, I think it'd be pretty good. Well, I mean, I, I think it four Delve four is very very easy. So it's a two mana. It's true. It's two mana three three five that draws you cards. You could draw one or two cards. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think can that's see great. the play. But where though is the thing? Like, does a control deck want this? I mean, you could just. Mm, no, I don't like. Did, I, don't I don't think, think you Delver want is playing this. I I think you would want this in Delver. Really? Yeah. Maybe like one or two of them. I I could see it. The Delve is so easy. People have been playing like literally every Delve card yeah, in Delver decks. The Delve, the Delve is basically free, especially when you want it to be like pondering brainstorming before it. Yeah, I yeah. could see the Sing Sing play as well. And it's, I think we've pretty much learned that Delve does not interfere with Arcanist or other Delve cards. No. As long as it's not like Delve 8. This is Delve 4. It's basically free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Legacy, it's just nothing. Turn 1, pond, uh, fetch, ponder. Turn 2, Delver gets bolted. Sweet. Done. Fetch land. Um, so from what I heard, you guys like the card? Um, I, I think we both think it's pretty good, actually. Like, I'm a bit more skeptical. It's it's a 3-3. Three, three. It's blue. But Del 4 is almost free, it feels like, in the right decks. So, That's true. And this yeah. will force people to play into your, even maybe a daze or something. Like, they have to kill this. They can't let you draw the cards with your 3-3. Three, three. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I could see the things in play actually. Like, it's not bad. It's not bad. I guess it's another really good two drop. But I guess you, you're uh, technically you it's, can. It's cast like a, it's like a three or four drop that costs two mana. mana. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 right. It's also a heavenly whale. Like that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that that's got that working for it. Definitely it's so elemental heavenly. whale. <laughs> Heavenly. The next card I want to talk about is Nascent Metamorph. It's a 1-1 shapeshifter for a colorless and a blue. And basically what it does is whenever it attacks, your opponent reveals cards from the top of their library until they hit a creature card. And then the Metamorph becomes a copy of that creature until the end of turn. And the rest goes on the bottom of the library in any order. So I guess the first thing that comes to mind is to play this against Sneak Show, right? So you can no. either like, hit them for 15, you don't get the Annihilator trigger, or have a Grizzlebrand and draw 7. Uh, I'm not seeing I, I don't hate that. <laughs> I'm just not sure if it's going to like actually be better than just playing an extra copy of Lassistom or something. I think this is a dud. This yeah. is a bad one. Not seeing it. Yeah, I'm afraid. Okay, next one. We get <laughs> Riel, <laughs> Riel the Everwise. It's an 0-3. Human Wizard for a colorless, a blue, and a red. When Riel the Everwise gets plus one, plus zero for each instant sorcery card in your graveyard. Okay, whatever. Whenever you discard one or more cards for the first time each turn, draw that many cards. What are the first cards that come to mind for you guys? Well, Lion's Eye Diamond, Faith Saluting. Yeah, Faith Saluting. Lion's Eye Diamond is the first one. I, I, the thing is, is, is that little bit of text for the first time each turn. If that wasn't there, this card would be insane, and you can build combo decks around it and be really good. <laughs> But the fact that it's like a, it's a wannabe engine, if that makes sense. Like, you can't really abuse it properly. Like, you can you can play it, and then you discard your LED, and you'll get the trigger. You'll draw the cards off the LED. So you're kind of neutering LEDs effect. But it's so fragile. It's an O3 or X3, and it's blue and red. So it gets hydro blasted, pyro blasted, three mana gets dazed pretty easily. I just think like. The, the effect of whenever you discard one or more cards, you draw that many cards, that's a very powerful effect. But the fact that it's limited to once per turn just means it's not reliable enough to be like an engine for a combo deck. And then it's not good enough to be outside a combo deck. I could see it in like one of those hybrid control reanimator decks where they're basically a control deck that has World Gorger Dragon finish in it kind of thing. Just because it's actually a real threat in and of itself. You can just attack with it. I guess. But it's just like a... It's three mana for like a. It's not bad. I think yeah, you could be right that it could like try and see some play. Yeah, um, I think it's a cool card. I don't think it's very. I don't think it's very good. It's too much mana. It's off the crack, but as it's well. a it's a sweet card, and I could see yeah. it being played in something like that. I think people fun. will try it. Like I think the the nice little combo with LED is pretty cool. But yeah, it's it's, it's just yes. the the limiting to one per turn kind of kills it for me. So. Where I see it is in some kind of strife pile deck, I would guess, because it also works well with Dark Faden and because because Dark Faden needs more help. Yeah, you need another. <laughs> I mean, that's how the deck works, right? You just get, put all the value <laughs> into it, but but yeah. And the other thing I see about the card, but that's not really happening in Legacy right now anyway, is that it actually blocks discard spells, right? So if they they make you unless they play like two discard spells on their turn, but if they hum you, you get the two cards back or. Two mm. fresh cards, basically. It's still so like three happening. mana. It's like you need to cast three mana, and it's live. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's just I, no like the, the card is not bad, right? But the, it's just not really fitting yeah. into what people are doing in Legacy right now. It's 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 so close to being there, but I th- I'm I'm pretty skeptical. I, I don't see it myself. Yeah, 
So the next one, I'm actually wondering why I put that into our show notes, is called Geruda Doom of Depth. And no, I, think, I think this six, is really six. powerful. Okay, I'm happy I put it there. Yeah. It's a 6-6 six, six Demon Kraken. Okay, okay, now I'm seeing it. Demon Kraken, I'm sold. There we go. <laughs> it costs uh, four colorless and then two hybrid mana, blue or black. Companion, your starting deck contains only cards with even converted mana cost. And for those wondering, Companion is this new thing where you can have the card for... Ex- Let's say for legacy tournaments, you have them in your sideboard, and then you can play them once per game from your sideboard if the the condition is satisfied, which here means that you only have like even mana costs. And for those wondering, zero is even. When the demon Kraken enters the battlefield, each player mills themselves for four, and then you put a creature from those eight cards that were milled with an even converted mana cost onto the battlefield under your control. So you either get like well, a creature of your opponent or one of yours, but it has to be one that was milled, so it can't, couldn't have been there previously. Caleb, explain to us how this is going to re- revolutionize Legacy. Okay, so I think this actually really has a lot of potential to be broken. Num- step number one is Lion's Eye Diamond. So you can cast Lion's Eye Diamond, discard your hand, you can cast it from your sideboard. So that's step number one in like doing it. Secondly, the, the downside of having your deck contain only even card means no cantrips, but it's not too bad if you're trying to like, just make lots of mana fast. And the first idea was given to me by um, Stefan Schultz, who's mental misstep. He's a pretty insane player and deck builder. He said you can play this with clones. So if you play it and you mill a clone, be it like Phantasm Image or the original clone, <laughs> you you copy itself and then the legend rule legend rule away the clone or the, whatever copy, and that mills both players' deck. Oh, so you keep switching between yeah. them? Yeah, because of the legend rule. So <laughs> so the legend rule, the, set, the clone comes into play, it copies the ETB effect, and then you, you, you get the clone again, and you yeah, okay. get the clone mm-hmm. again, and you get the clone mm-hmm. again. So it's going to be like a one-card combo where you just need to get to six mana, where you can use Lions of Diamond because you can discard your hand, and then if you hit a clone in your top four cards, you win the game if they don't have an Emrakul in play. So I like your definition of one-card combo. <laughs> <laughs> well, you need six mana plus this card. Is, well, it's a one-card combo, but this card is in your sideboard. Like It can't be discarded. It, it's just there. When you get to six mana, you cast it. So I mean, th- this could be like a this is like the first idea that Stefan gave me. But this is pretty Belcher-esque. And then and then you yeah. cu- you mill out your deck and you and you play Thassa's Oracle with your last one. No no no, your opponent mills as well. I know, but what if they have uh, Emrakul? <laughs> yeah, then you lose. <laughs> no, you just have you have a, a Thassa's Oracle because Thassa's Oracle is the best combo card ever. <laughs> oh yeah, true. So you can have one Thassa's Oracle in your deck, and then you just mill your deck, and then yes. bring the Thassa's Oracle back on the last one. But it would need to be in your last. Uh, no, no, four yeah, yeah, cards. no, no. It says from among those cards. Yeah, you can't do Thassa's Oracle. Wait, so what? you would actually need to mill. You would need to mill a clone every single time. So that's. Like, Wait, you're already bouncing. You're already oh, doing it through your whole yeah, deck, yeah, right? Yeah, you're right. You need to have. You need to have a deck full of clones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wait, I what? I think there's enough out there. Oh, oh, you. So you can fizzle because you can't. You can't re put the old clone back in, or I'm confused. So you mill eight cards, so far on each side, and you can only reanimate stuff that was milled with that trigger. Mm. Um, so that doesn't work. Yeah, I think the cards... Well, you can have loads of clones in your deck. It's just all fast mana and clones. But you could still... It's only milling four, so you could fizzle. <laughs> so you have a deck filled with right, clones so. that fizzles. <laughs> <laughs> Quite easily, because it's only four cards. <laughs> this is an amazing meme deck. Just like 10% chance of winning when you do your thing. 
<laughs> it's a legend, so it can be your uh, commander. Yeah. Okay, so I, I think there's some other ideas, like it could play with Bomberman to get Oryx salvages or like something. Yeah, I don't know. I think I misread the card a bit. Um, um, I'm going to try it, but it's really, really bad, probably. <laughs> I love it. It's a bad one-card combo. <laughs> it's a one-card combo that's demonstrated into your hand every game. Yeah, it's so weird because you also need technically like brainstorm to set it up, but you can't play brainstorm, so you have yeah. to play like I don't know, Dreamcatcher, Cache or something or whatever it's called. Fastest Oracle. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's just play Fastest Oracle and Doomsday. That sounds so much better. Ah, Doomsday is so good. It's yeah. so good. I love it. Next card I want to speak about is Drenith Magistrate. It's a 1-3 human wizard for a colorless and a white, and it's pretty straightforward. Your opponents can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands. This is obviously, I guess, another Death and Texas hate bearer. Mm. I think this is another dud. It doesn't yeah. really do enough. You can't recruit it for it as well, which is quite What does important. it even hit? It That's hits true. your... Passing flames. Yeah. Like, yeah. Snapcast Flashback damage, stuff. Passing flames. Yeah. Uro. Yeah, Uro really is nice, but I think you have like Caracas and Swords already in the decks that will play it. So I think this is another kind of like cool looking card, but it's just another hate bear like the... Um, there's hate bears every set. It stops paying Glacial Worm, unfortunately. Oh, it's broken. Fuck, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, moving well. on to the last card we got here. Uh, Vivian, Monsters Advocate. Planeswalker, three loyalty, costs three colorless and two green. It has two static abilities. Okay, the first one is kind of meh. <laughs> you may look at the top card. You may look at the top card of your library at any time. This is the best and static second, ability. That's the best card, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's the best part. And the second is you may cast creature spells from the top of your library. So it's kinda like creatures. And yeah. It's plus one, creates a three-three green beast creature token. And you can either give it vigilance, reach, or trample, which I think is actually kinda good um and the minus two basically says whenever you cast your next creature spell this turn search your library for a creature with a lesser converted mana cost and put it onto the battlefield and then shuffle your library so i kind of like everything i'm seeing on that card it's just five mana is a lot but uh, it's it's so close like at four mana i would be like oh my god i want this in elves yeah maybe i was gonna say elves seems like the only kind of home yeah it's really only elves right but having a plus one to make a three three with an ability and like then to get to four loyalty is not bad. It's I could see like people trying this in some bug zenith kind of deck. Yeah, I kinda like how it like it creates something that blocks flyers, which is always a big deal for elves. Mm-hmm. And it once you untap that's the thing, right? You have to untap with it and then you can try to go crazy. Uh the minus really doesn't do all that much for us except for like yeah. either finding dry double. Or if you find Elvish Visionary, it finds Vyward Symbiote, which is kind of a big deal. That's pretty good. But at the same time, I'm paying five mana, so that's already also like... I, I, I think I, I, I see really it more again like in like Nick Fit or Bug Zenith, where like you're actually casting higher cost creatures or something. I think it's just a little bit too expensive, ultimately. Five mana is just a lot of mana. You have, you have Nissa Vital Force, which is pretty good as an option as well. Like, yeah. when you get to these kind of higher mana costs in, in a deck that can grind, like, both the ones that are talking about Elves or um, Bug Zenith, like, they have so many grindy cards already that five mana should be ending the game, really. Yeah. I, I just wish they had just, like, removed a couple of those abilities and make it made it a three mana walker, because that's what <laughs> we really want. No, don't make a three mana walker that pluses to four to make a creature with abilities. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> We've had enough powerful planeswalkers. Yeah. 
Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I think I think it's, guys, it's, almost, it's almost there then, but yeah, it's not quite. It's just a bit too expensive. Yeah. I think there's one more card that you didn't put on here that's that might be worth discussing for legacy. Shame on me. Yeah. Bring it up. Crystalline, crystalline giant, crystalline giant. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I didn't put it in there because I thought you guys would make fun of me for putting the card in there. You need to tell me what this card does. I don't know. It says at the beginning of combat on your turn, choose a kind of counter at random that Crystalline Giant doesn't have on it from among f- flying, first strike, death touch, hexproof, lifelink, menace, reach, trample, vigilance, and plus one, plus one. Put a counter of that kind on it, and it's a three mana, three, three, colorless. So you need to bring a D10 with you. Yeah, the okay. rolling of the dice thing is going to be horrible. This is bullshit. But- <laughs> this card seems extremely powerful to me. So it's a three mana three three that gets an ability each combat. Yeah, I guess if you could somehow guarantee that it could get like hexproof immediately, that would be insane. Well, you can't Sounds guarantee that. Yeah. But once it has hexproof, it can't be killed. And once I mean, once you've rolled a couple <laughs> dice, I mean, this thing's gonna win the game. I don't see it myself. Three mana three three that like gets some random abilities. That's not gonna like we're talking about legacy here, right? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah. it's better than some of the vanilla creatures in Eldrazi currently. That's true. Yeah, but That's those, those, true. those cards are good because their lands tap for two mana, though. Right, well, I'm talking about... We're, oh, you mean we're talking about Legacy. <laughs> I see what you mean. Yeah, I guess so. It's good with the Ancient Tomb, not with the Temple. Yeah, maybe, so, maybe. Where do you see it? Do, do you see it like also in, like in, in mid-range creatures? I see it in Eldrazi, and I'm going to try it in the side... Sideboard is a plan B for uh, Reanimator because I think it's better than Pack Rat, basically. Well, you Dark Ritual out. So. Yeah, you can Dark Ritual out and you don't have to worry about Wasteland once it's played, so, and it yeah. can win the game. Maybe in Steel Stompy as well. It's good. Yeah. So that kind of deck. I was thinking this card might actually see play in Vintage, but. Um, yeah, it could yeah, okay. do. Definitely. I mean, three mana artifacts, it's always Vintage, right? <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what you do. <laughs> hey, that land card. Hey. <laughs> Oh. Okay, is, is there are there any other cards you guys saw or anything you want to discuss? Otherwise, I think we're going to close it out here. We I tried to make this our, a one-hour cast, but it didn't really work out. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see any others that grabbed my attention, so I think we're good. Awesome. So thanks a lot for coming on, everyone. By the way, you, you might have noticed we accidentally dropped Jeff halfway through the cast. Fortunately, like kind of towards the end of the discussion of his deck anyways, there were some technical issues going on that we couldn't really fix. But... Thanks a lot, everyone. Thanks a lot, especially to our Patreon supporters on our Eternal Witness tier, Matt Nams, Valerio, James Slack, our new supporter, Victor Bernans, as well as our like long-time Grizzlebrand tier supporters, Bachupat, Scott Monroe, Kurush, Aliste, and Jeremy Gates. Thank you so much, all of you. Not only are it's, uh, like I keep I keep messing up this last part. People told me to practice this, but I I, <laughs> I really just want to say thanks not only for supporting us financially, but also supporting us for like spreading the word, for reaching out to us. Like almost like every league I play, somebody tells me on Magic Online, "Hey, I really love every day." Turn thanks for doing that. Thanks so much for that. If you want to support us even more, like I mentioned, you can go to Patreon.com/slash Everyday Eternal to support our cast there. Or even, like, leave a review of iTunes. It really does help us out. I noticed some of you actually did leave a review recently. So thank you so much for that. And with that, we're going to close it out. Have a lot of fun. Stay safe. And enjoy your time in this really weird time right now. I think it's going to get better somehow, someday. Save the world. Play Magic Online. We just play video games. Yeah, (laughs) that sounds good. (laughs) Thanks a lot, guys. See you. Bye-bye. Thank you.